One of the joys of pastoring and preaching to a church that is filled with and led by the Holy Spirit is listening to you pray. There's not a portion of the message that I'm about to bring that you didn't just pray about. And week after week, we watch the Lord do that. So this might sound really strange, um, but I have for a number of months had this message percolating in me. Today's the day to bring it. It's a message about judgment. And and it might sound strange. I've been really um, eager to bring it and eager for you to hear it. Now, I'll explain that because I expect that doesn't make sense to most people. But um, before I do, I want to say a little bit about preaching. You can turn in your Bibles to 2, 2 Peter 3, and I just want to say while you're turning there a little bit about preaching in this season because um, for the entire time that I've pastored here and Pastor Gina and Pastor Jalisa have pastored with me, it's almost always been the case that the Lord's led us to preach series sometimes shorter, six, eight sermons on the Psalms, sometimes longer, like two years in Luke and two years in Acts, but always series. And there's always been a sense of we have an idea of where we're going. And as we came to the end of the summer, this summer, we really sensed a shift in that the Lord seemed to be impressing on our hearts, listen to me for my messages And I'll direct you week by week and month by month in what to preach. I'm not giving you a series. Listen to me. And so he began to speak to us in August about faith. You'll remember Pastor Gina brought four messages about faith as trust in action. And we didn't know it, but as she brought those messages, he was setting us up for a message that I brought that followed that had been in me last spring, and I didn't have time to bring it in the series on strengthening yourself in the Lord, I was going to teach you how how from Timothy we can use prophetic words, messages from God, words of Scripture he's given or other words to strengthen ourselves because Paul says, by recalling them, you can fight the good fight. But At the end of her series on faith, the Lord said, now speak that word. It's for the whole church. And I want you to recall the words that I've given to this church about revival coming, because now is the time I gave them. If you weren't here, the Lord, eight years ago, in five months, he gave us four words that we did not ask for or look for, where he said he's going to bring revival. Not one or two or four or five, but many coming into the kingdom of God. And we all sitting here know that we don't have the ability to make that happen on our own. That's a sovereign God action that he has done many times throughout history. Many pockets, many places around the world, rivers of the Holy Spirit have been poured out to gather many into the kingdom of God. Always at his sovereign initiative, but always with the cooperation of a praying, eager, hungry church. And it was the, the Lord said, now recall those promises and begin to press in. Now's the season. And so we said, okay, Lord, what's next? And because it always comes by prayer, we said, the Lord said, preach on, preach prayer. And so what was the message? 
It was Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, where Paul, who has a commission to take the gospel to the Gentile world and to have a harvest, starts by praying for the church. He says, for this reason, I pray for you that you all may be rooted and established so deeply in the love of God that it flows over and fills you. That's how the church is going to grow. And so then we heard a message from Pastor Gina about returning to our first love and kindling the fires of intimacy with the Lord, whose bride we are. And a message from Pastor Jalisa last week about keeping yourselves in God's love as you, what did the text say? As you snatch others from the fire. Fire of judgment. So this week we're going to talk about God's judgment, but we're going to talk about it as an act of love. Because for some time I've been feeling in my spirit that the Lord would really have the church recalibrate our thinking about his judgment. Okay? So we'll get there, but the first thing, last thing I want to tell you before I read uh, his word is this. These are not seeing glasses. These are computer glasses. You know I don't wear glasses. I've worn them once before for a message. And they have a purpose again. And that is this. To remind you and me that in this season, though we may not remember it from week to week, because I'm not going to rehearse every week what God's doing and saying, the filter for this season is revival. It is preparing for the return of the Lord, preparing for what he wants to do in and through us. It's getting ready as a church. And when you see these glasses, because I'll pull them on and put them on and in, in, in to preach again, but I won't say why. When you see these glasses, let them remind you the filter is revival. Okay? One more thing. I said one more, but one more. How do we know the Lord's doing this? Well, he's already starting to do what he said a month ago he wanted to do. When Jackie stood up and with a little bit of trepidation shared with us a prophetic word where she sensed from the Lord him saying, you all are praying for revival and it is what I want to more than you want it. As you pray, I'm going to reveal your idols. What did we just hear ourselves beginning to confess in corporate worship? Lord, strip me of the fear of man. Lord, strip me of this. Lord, shift this. We didn't tell you to pray that way. The Holy Spirit is bubbling that up. So it's what he's doing. He's preparing us. Okay? All right. Let's, let's read 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written them both as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, 
Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly people. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless people and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. When I was in college, I played soccer and I played volleyball. And you never had to tell me when the next soccer game was 
or when the next soccer practice was, or when the next volleyball game was, or the next volleyball practice was. I always knew them. I didn't have the schedule memorized, but I had enough of it far out that, uh, clear enough far out that I just always knew on Tuesday of this week and Friday of next week, and we're going here's a home game and there's an away game. They just never caught me by surprise. But when I was in college, I often got surprised by math tests and science tests. Sorry, Nate. Science. (laughs) It wasn't my thing and neither was math. And the thing was, it's not that I didn't know they were coming because they told me when they were coming. They weren't surprise tests. They handed out the syllabus that said when the tests were. And I had a calendar that I kept and I put them on my calendar. But they still snuck up on me. And, you know, as I thought about that, I thought, well, life's a lot like this. Camping never catches me by surprise. Our summer camping trip, I'm thinking about it months ahead and weeks ahead. I'm planning when we're going to go and what we're going to pack and getting everything ready. But tax time? How did that get here so fast? The dentist appointment? It's tomorrow? Didn't I just go a year ago? For real? So the principle behind this is we naturally look forward to and prepare for things that we are eagerly anticipating. But things that we're not really anticipating, we're not looking forward to, we don't think about and therefore we don't prepare for, which can have consequences that are anything from minimal and a little bit awkward Like when the dentist calls and says, you have an appointment that starts 15 minutes ago. This happened to me a couple months ago. Are you planning to come in? Oops. All the way to uh, some fairly serious consequences. If the IRS is on the phone saying it's June 15 and you're two months overdue, now you've got some taxes and penalties. That's a bit more of a big deal. All the way to the clouds parting, the sky being rolled back, the sovereign Lord who we just were singing will be ready for suddenly appearing with a host of angels ready to separate the sheep from the goats, ready to judge the living and the dead. You can see a lack of preparation will have big consequences. And so Peter's writing to the church, and he's saying to them, I want you to be prepared. I want you to lift up your eyes to this day. You can't live for this day if you're not prepared for this day. And so he says to them, I want you to recall the, the, the things that the holy prophets said. What did the holy prophets say? Almost every single one of them, in one way, shape, form, or another, talked about the day of the Lord. The day when he would return. The day when he would judge. The day when he would restore righteousness. The day when he would bring justice and shalom. The day when he would judge his, his enemies. They all talked about it. They prophesied about it. And he's saying, you need to, to recall what the holy prophet said. You need to call it up before you. But not only that, you need to remember what your Lord and Savior said. What did he say? 
He said, I'm coming back. And when I come back, the world's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. People will be eating and drinking, marrying, giving themselves in marriage. It'll be filled with wickedness as it was in the days of Noah. And your role, you need to be alert. You need to be sober-minded. You need to be using your gifts to serve. You need to be filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. So Peter's saying, you've got, I want you to recall. I want, you to, I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And then he goes on to talk about that day. Now, we don't know why the church is, needs to be stimulated in this in his day. We don't know. He doesn't say why they need to be stirred up. We might imagine they're 30 or so years out from Jesus' resurrection. Perhaps they're already starting to think what's taking so long. He said he was coming soon. Perhaps. We don't know. And so I'm not going to speculate. What I want to speculate on is why we and why the church today might not or might similarly need to be, say, we'll say it positively, need to be stirred up to wholesome thinking, to recalling the promises, to lifting our eyes onto that day that's coming. Why would it be difficult for us as a church, and I'm speaking to us here, but also to the broader church, why why would it be difficult for us to keep our eyes on the day of the Lord, the day of Christ's return, the day of judgment? Why would it be difficult for us to eagerly anticipate that day? Well, I want to suggest to you two things, one of which is, I think, much larger or more contributing factor of why it might be difficult. But I'll name the other one first. Our our particular context, right, it's never popular to think about judgment or talk about it, right? It, it, it never sort of meets an enthusiastic response. I don't know, you know, as a, I don't know if you know this, uh, if I've ever talked about it, but as a preacher or a teacher, I can gauge your hunger and your desire to hear what's being spoken as I speak and teach. I have a fairly good, not perfect, but a fairly good read. You can feel in a room as you're speaking and teaching what people are interested in and engaging in. There's actually a draw on a speaker that happens when people are really hungry. Okay, So if you were to ask preachers and teachers, when we talk about God's judgment, what does it feel like? How eager are people to hear it? In the church, I think the answer is not very let alone the world, okay? It's, it's not been a pleasant subject or a subject that people gravitate toward. And in part, it's not, I, I think it's in part because it's not something that is welcomed outside the church. We live in a culture in which you may not say anything evaluative about me. You must accept me exactly the way I am. And if you don't, I cancel you. It's the way it works. Okay. So judgment's never been popular to talk about. It's probably not been less, more difficult. It's probably not been more difficult outside the church for us to speak about judgment, to say that there is a God 
who has moral absolutes, standards that don't bend or change, and who will measure us by them. It's a very difficult time to say that. But I think the bigger, the more contributing factor that makes it difficult for us to think about judgment and to talk about judgment is I think we've got a perspective, and I I don't know that I'm right, so you can evaluate this for yourself, but I think that our perspective about judgment is is off base a little bit. I think we tend to think about it as all wrath and anger. And it very, very much does include God's wrath and anger, but it isn't first and foremost centered in or upon his wrath and anger alone. Let me explain to you using an analogy. I've got wonderful children. Where are they? One, two, three, and one's homesick. Wonderful children who sometimes, every once in a while, say or do something to another one of One of them will say or do something to another one of my children that isn't so kind. Just once in a while. Just once in a while. But when it happens... I find rising up within me righteous anger for the one who's being slighted or criticized or whatever it is. I find a defensiveness rising up inside of me. And it doesn't matter which way it is. I'm defensive for all of them. I'm defensive for every one of them. I don't want one of my children to be hurt or slighted, or in any way treated other than the way that they ought to be treated. Now you think about this. I am a fallible, sinful human being. Jesus said, if you then though are sinful, how much more won't your Father in Heaven, as He talked about giving the Holy Spirit. Think about the Father in Heaven watching on human history with the love that he has for every single one of us. And now think about this. He sees it all. He knows it all. Every single hurtful word that has ever been spoken and wounded somebody, he sees it. And it hurts. Every single person who's wept at abandonment or rejection or abuse, who's shared those stories and not been believed, every single person who has died crossing a desert trying to find a better life for their family, Because they were escaping tyranny and corruption and hell on earth where they were coming from. Every single wife and mother who's ever stood at the door and received news. Your husband, your son was killed in battle. I watched... 
the Mel Gibson movie, We Were Soldiers Again this week, and I wept as I watched just seven or eight or nine telegrams being delivered and seeing wives get wrecked. But how many times has this happened through human history? How many times right now in the Ukraine? Dozens of thousands of Ukrainians and Russians losing their lives. He sees it all. He knows it all. I'm just scratching the surface of the tyranny, of the injustice. You think about stuff like the Holocaust. You think about the stuff like uh, 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 racial prejudice. And people that have lost their lives, you think about slavery and human beings that have been owned. He looks on all of this and he hates it. It grieves him. He loves so much more deeply than we do. So think about it this way. For a God who is only and fully loving and good. He is only pure. There is nothing in him that is not pure, good, loving, and holy. And who is all-powerful, who is sovereign, who has the ability to do what he wants. It would be unloving of him to not use his sovereignty to finally and fully carve out and cut away anything and everything that spoils, that kills, that destroys, that wounds. Can you see this? When God's judgment This is how I think he wants to recalibrate our thinking. God's judgment, that refining that that Peter describes, that melting away, the fires of judgment, what that is, is God's final and full, you could say it two ways. One, his affirmation of everything that is good and holy. And two, his saying, no, no more. No more shall this creation be despoiled and ruined and wounded. And no more shall people be tyrannized and betrayed. And the list goes on. No more. The day of judgment is God's No more to everything that gets in the way of the restoration of shalom. Where is he taking us? Renewed shalom. Nothing broken. Nothing missing. Nothing spoiling. And so we can and we ought to look forward to that day of judgment with all that is within us. One, because we belong to the judge. We do not fear it unless we're living in our hiding sin. 
We do not fear it. Paul goes through this in Romans chapter 8 where he says, verse 33, he says, look, he died for us. If he who died, if we belong to the one who died for us, there's no condemnation anymore. How much more will he not give us all things? And then he goes on to talk about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Do you see how we can and ought to live with a hunger with a thirst for this day, bent on this day. This isn't first about an angry God who wants to destroy people that disagree with him. This is about a God who wants to renew and who will do, who is absolutely committed and able to do everything in his power to renew all things. And so Peter says, we look forward to that day. I don't know if you caught it, but twice he says to the church, we look forward to that day. And he says, and even speed, it's coming. How do we do that? How's that possible? Isn't that interesting? Could it be that the more the church has her eyes on that day, that the more the church lives for that day, that the more the church speaks of that day and works for that day by her faithful witness to the gospel, that it does indeed in some way in God's sovereignty speed its coming. No one knows the day or the hour, the timing that he has set. But could it be? That he's waiting. He's waiting for the full number to come in. He's waiting for the bride to be ready, to be pure and spotless. He's waiting for the church to hunger for his return. And so Peter says, there are a few ways that we need to respond or to this love. Have I have I made it clear yet that God's judgment is an act of love? Can you just if you yeah, it is. It wouldn't be loving of him to leave anything that would spoil us eternally. And so he's cleansing it. Right. Okay. How do you respond to that love? Because that love, it maybe doesn't doesn't always sound or think of what we think of love like. And it is sober. It does require preparation. We don't want to be surprised, nor do we want anyone else to be surprised. Peter says four things about being prepared for that love or responding to that love. One, the first thing he says is be aware that God's patience or his slowness, God's not being slow. He's patient, and his patience means repentance. And it's, why do we need to be aware of that? If we're not aware of that, it will be really easy for two things to happen. One, we could become offended with God for allowing certain things. 
great, great evil is taking place around the world and maybe increasing. He tells us it's going to get darker as we get closer to the end. Lawlessness will increase until it accumulates in a man of lawlessness. And he also tells us the love of many is going to grow cold in Matthew 24. Why is that going to happen? Because people are going to look on the increasing evil. They're going to look on what looks like a, uh, a, an absence of God's response to evil, and people will become offended. They'll say, there can't be a God. So he's saying, don't be deceived. His slowness, his patience is so that people can come to repentance. It does not mean he doesn't care or isn't active. Okay? The second thing he says to us in terms of responding to God's love is not so much something he tells us to do, but something he models for us. And that is a willingness to speak of God's judgment. As a spiritual leader, Peter is candid. He's forthright. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't pull punches. He doesn't hide the judgment. He's clear there is a judgment and it's coming. There's a day of the Lord that's coming and we all need to be prepared. And so the question for us is, does our presentation of the gospel include speaking of God's judgment? Are we giving faithful witness I don't have time to read it all. I have a page here. I went through the New Testament again. And you would be surprised at how many of the gospel presentations include speaking of the judgment. On the first time, when Paul spoke to Cornelius' household, first time he presented to the, to the Gentiles, he spoke of the judgment. When Paul spoke in Athens to a group of unbelieving pagans that he'd never met before, very first time he spoke the gospel, he spoke of the judgment. When Paul spoke to Felix when he was in captivity, it says he discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. When the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, the author says, let's move on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance and faith in God, baptisms and the laying on of hands, the resurrection to come, and the, final ju- and the judgment. The judgment of God was seen by the New Testament writers, but also those who were the apostles who were sharing the gospel as a part of the gospel. This king who died for the forgiveness of your sins and who's risen and who's reigning over a kingdom and who's bringing that kingdom into this world and who's renewing the world, he's also the man whose God has set to judge the world. By righteousness, according to his standards of righteousness. And so, will we be faithful as Jesus' witnesses to tell people there are moral absolutes, there are moral standards, there is a God who created and who will judge the world? The third thing that 
Paul or Peter counsels is related to that. Peter says, be on your guard against lawlessness. Be on your guard against lawlessness. The banner is our church's uh, monthly magazine. I don't know how many of you get it or read it. It's available online, can be sent to your mailboxes. And in this past month's issue, there was um, the whole responding to the editor section was designated toward responses regarding this past summer's human sexuality report or decision that sin had made to uphold the biblical understanding of marriage between one man and one woman, among other things. And heres I want to read to you one of the comments and then say a little bit about it. Synod's decision is unacceptable and regrettable to me and to many others. I've been a member of the CRC for 74 years, but this is a step way too far. I'm not sure which version of the Bible you are reading, but my version talks about a God with unconditional love, even for such reprobates as lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, meaning swindlers, cheaters, etc., and sinners, probably all the unclean people of that day, to move into the direction of exclusivity is not acceptable to me and obviously to God either. Let's not judge lest we be judged. Jesus did not say to a woman caught in adultery, you poor thing, they didn't want to stone you. Okay, why don't you go back to that man now? He did not say to Mary the prostitute, you poor thing, I'm just going to leave these seven demons inside of you, accept you the way you are, and send you on your way back to your prostitution. He accepted that woman caught in adultery. He did not condemn her. And he said, go now and leave your life of sin. He accepted that Mary, that prostitute, drove those seven demons out of her and said, come follow me. Leave your life of sin. Here's the concern. How does a person who's been in the CRC for 74 years come to a place where they're blessing and furthering or spouting such poor theology and interpretation of Scripture. This is a version of lawlessness, right? It's a gospel, with, it's a cheap gospel that says, you must accept everything about me. 
It's, it is a reproduction of what's happening in culture, taking it into the church, that doesn't affect transformation. Okay. The gospel says we're all welcome, we're all accepted by God in and through Jesus Christ, and the doorway in is faith and repentance. We all have brokenness in our sexuality. And for some of I mean, everyone in this room does. And for some of us, it's same-sex longings. And the, the gospel calls us to holy celibacy. And the gospel brings transformation. But we are hearing in the church what is in the culture. One more little bit. This is lawlessness, so be on your... I'm, I'm speaking to you all in a little bit. In, in some of ways, I understand I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm speaking especially for the younger people among us right now because you are facing the most pressure. Okay? <clears throat> Another area where I think lawlessness is growing that um, impacts the church or impacts culture was named by Don in family prayer time. We have on the ballot on November 8 something that would seek to enshrine in state law full-term abortions, but even beyond that, the ability for young people, 12- and 13-year-old kids, to make a decision to have their gender changed and their anatomy changed without their parents' consent or knowledge. Okay. That's a version of lawlessness. We're actually seeking to enshrine into law something that is against God's law. He has put parents in authority over their children, and this is a taking advantage of them at a very susceptible time. Beyond that, um, I, I better stop there. This <clears throat> I have to be careful because the letter is to the church, not to the culture. Our role is to be aware of how culture is influencing and impacting the church and to be on our guard so that we can be witnesses. If we give up our light, we cease to be a witness. And part of being a witness and shining a light is actually having a view of the judgment that is calibrated to God's heart. So I believe what he's saying to us this morning is I I want you to love my judgment the way I do. I want you to love the fact that I'm going to cleanse all things. That's what this is. This purification by fire is a cleansing. And so that you can unashamedly say to people, rather than Rather than um, opposing God's judgment or saying, who is he to judge? You, should, you could be able to say, you should be thankful 
that there is a God on high who is committed to answering every cry for justice that has ever been cried, whether the person knew it or not. Every person that ever had a longing for things to be made right and straight and for evil to be done away with. Whether they knew there was a God, they're all crying out for shalom. They're all, it's the longing of our heart for eternity, all crying out. And you and I get to say, there is a God who's going to set things in order. He's going to put them right. He is going to eradicate those who oppose him. And he's even going to remove the things from within us that would spoil us if he left them for all eternity. And so that leads us to the fourth thing that Peter says, and that is make every effort to be found spotless and pure and at peace with him. And why wouldn't we? None of us want to reach that day and have secrets revealed and find out that we were living with things that not only didn't please him, but would lead to death. And so we just say, search us, Lord. Search us now. You know, uh, Paul says earlier, it's time for judgment to begin with the house of God. He doesn't mean that in a negative sense. He means that in a positive sense. God, cleanse us. God, refine us. God, make us a light, holy and pure that burns. So we're going to wrap up here. We're going to sing together refiner's fire in a moment uh and i think as i preach god's doing different things in different ones of you maybe in some he is cultivating a desire for a deeper holiness and your response is yet yeah, god purify me more get worldly thinking worldly attitudes uh, love for things that don't measure up cleanse me but others of you, I think, are sitting here and, and maybe it's, God, I, I want to be willing. I want to I view your judgment that way. I, I want to be willing to speak to others about it. Help me. Give me courage. I think we need to pray for fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody else feel like, I need courage in this environment. I need courage to be a witness. Okay, let's just pray for each other. Let's let's pray for each other. Um, let's I'll just pray for all of us right now before we sing Refiner's Fire. Why don't you stand up and I'll pray for all of us and then we'll sing together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. And so you're the same as the day the disciples called out to you from the room in Acts 4 when they said, Lord, they're making threats against us and against your name. Now, Lord, empower us to speak the gospel and accompany it, Lord, with signs and wonders. And, Lord, we pray the same thing. The, the culture is impinging further and further, and we're clearly being told to shut up and not speak of absolute truth. We're being told not to be the bright lights that we are. And Lord, we, won't, we just say in your presence that we do not want to live with the fear of man. Lord, your word says that 
the joy will be great of those who turn many to righteousness. And we want to be those who turn people to righteousness. Because there's freedom in righteousness. We want to turn people, Lord. We want to be effective. We want to be strong, even in our schools, wherever you've placed us, Lord. In our workplaces. Lord, help us not to be silent. Help us to see the opportunities. I pray, Lord, that you would come on us, that we wouldn't even think about it. We just find ourselves speaking all of a sudden, that you would so just come upon us. That we'd speak humbly, we'd speak gently, we'd speak without any arrogance, but we'd speak truthfully, Lord. There's a living God who isn't going to put up with evil, who is going to judge, he's going to purify, he's going to make all things new. And he's made a way for us to be made new. Come to know him through Jesus. So Lord, I ask you right now for fresh empowering from the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would clothe us, that you'd come on us, that you'd wrap yourselves around our hearts and our minds. You'd drive out fear and you'd replace it with fear of the Lord alone. Lord, let us live for that day that we could stand before you and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servants. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to keep refining. Keep refining even as we sing to you right now. Lord, you know those things that do need to be stripped away and changed. You know, Lord, if fear of, the, if fear of man is getting in the way or fear of repu- losing reputation, fear of looking awkward, foolish, judgment, You know what things those are. And so, Lord, we pray, refine, refine and pour out your spirit.